the views and opinions expressed on Explorer Secrets of the Truth or that of their guests or contributors are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. All information on Explorer Secrets of the Truth is provided in good faith, however, we make no representation or warranty of any kind, express or implied, regarding the accuracy, adequacy, validity, reliability, availability, or completeness of any information on this talk show or website. From monsters and ghosts to otherworldly beings, join the explorers as they venture into the darkest realm seeking the truth to what goes bump in the night. Good evening and welcome to Explorers of the Truth, episode 52. Tonight, as always, I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Les Simcavich. I made it through without laughing. You, I was, I'm proud of you. I'm <laughs> so how are you proud doing today, buddy? Uh, awesome. Awesome. Really good. How about you? Doing pretty good. That's Getting ready good. for my That's vacation. Good. Oh, I can't go wrong with that, man. We got back from ours a couple of weeks ago, like I said, the last couple of shows, so... It's your your due, my friend. Your due. Yeah. So, uh, how about we go through our normal spiel for the evening? How about you let everybody know where they can reach us and contact us? Sure, sure. You could uh, comment here live if you're watching us on Facebook. If you comment under the show, it'll come in live. Hey, good to see you, Moon Joey. We got a comment coming in from Facebook from Moon Joey, one of our our. Uh, uh, repeat listeners and viewers uh you could also if you're watching us live on youtube because we are live on youtube now <clears throat> excuse me you could comment under youtube and we'll see those comments live as well and we could interact with you you can find us on twitter at explorers group you can go to our website explorersgroup.com where you can see past shows and learn a little bit about uh, a little bit more about chad and i and uh, what we do we're more than just a talk show we we do investigations and research of uh the paranormal and cryptozoological fields and and ufology and any kind of weird story that rolls down the pike we always kind of get our our hands in the mix so we got a bunch of people writing in here and uh we appreciate that hello os is here and thomas cooper it is a new face thanks for joining in cryptovania is in the house that's awesome welcome so that's about it. That's where you could find us. Yep. <laughs> and then people are commenting <laughs> in. That's wonderful. Um, so our topic for tonight is going to be about the Phoenix Lights or what becomes known as the Lights Over Phoenix, which were a series of widely sighted US, uh, unidentified flying objects observed in the skies from Nevada all the way to Arizona. Uh, the main one we're going to cover tonight is the March 13th, 1997 event. But again, in February of 2007, this happens, a similar sighting. And April 21st of 2008, there was another sighting. But tonight's main topic is going to be the original sighting in March of 97. Mm -hmm. the, the namesake sightings, I guess, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. God, these headphones, man. If I if I can get these things to fit comfortably and not push my ears into my uh, the arms of my glasses, I'd be happy. Um, yeah. So we're going to be talking about the uh, the namesake sightings for the Phoenix Lights, and I guess we'll start 
Back in the beginning, on March 13th in 1997, a pilot reported I was flying uh, his, his son Oliver to go see his girlfriend, and we were on approach, uh, Russell explained. I saw six lights over the airport in absolute uniform in a V-shape, and Oliver said to me, I was just looking at him. I was coming in. We're maybe a half a mile out, and Oliver said, Pa, what are those lights? Then I kind of came out of my uh, revere and I said, I don't know what they are. He said, are we okay here? And I said, yeah, I'm going to call in. And I reported it. So what you're telling me is one of the initial sightings comes from Snake Plissken, the legendary. <laughs> yes. Burton. Yes. Escape yeah. from L.A. And yeah. Escape from New York, I guess, is the sequel or vice versa. Well, you got to go with the Jack Burton quote. I'm a reasonable guy but I've experienced some very unreasonable things. That's right. That's or right. My all-time favorite, Kurt Russell, as Wyatt Earp. You're going to die first. Get it? Your friends might get me in a rush, but not before I turn your head into a canoe. You understand me? <laughs> can you, can you hear me? Ever. <laughs> can you hear me? I think I, I my, my video feed cut out. I can hear you. Uh, you are kind of frozen, though. So... Yeah, I don't know what happened to my video. Technical difficulties. Shouldn't be our show without them. Yeah. So, you know, getting back to Kurt Russell being one of the, you know, first reports of this incident at the airport. And like he said, he basically didn't think anything of it until he noticed uh, his wife, Goldie Hawn. I don't know if they're technically married, but I don't think they are. That was a big thing. They're not technically married. They've been together for a million years. Uh, he didn't think anything of it until she was sitting watching a TV show the one day and it happened to be discussing these lights over Phoenix and the time frame. And he just had that like close encounters of the third kind moment with Richard Dreyfus, where he was like, Oh wow. I, I was part of all that. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I'm trying to get this camera to, to come through. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, all I'm seeing is your GoPro webcam, like generic screen. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm gonna try something, something else here. I'm gonna try and revert back and see if I can get my uh, laptop screen to come come through because the GoPro, for whatever, took a crap on me. Yeah. Oh, there we go. I'll see you again. So, all right. Let's get into the uh, timeline of these events here less, and I think you kind of are gonna cover that piece for us. Yeah, the first sightings of what would be known as the Phoenix Lights happened uh, nowhere near the valley. A V-shaped object as big as a 747 was spotted 285 miles to the northwest over Henderson, Nevada, and approx at approximately 7.55 p.m. It then reportedly headed southeast, crossing Arizona in less than 40 minutes. Sightings were made along the way in places like Paul Dean, where a retired police officer saw a cluster of six or seven lights in the Chino Valley and Prescott by 8.30 p.m. It hit Metro Phoenix. Sightings increased exponentially, although details began to differ. Okay. So I'm going to get into the kind of the details of what eyewitness accounts are of this. You know, first group of lights, generally the same. It was a series of lights in a chevron or a boomerang shape. Uh, some people say triangle. But the um, lights, they also differed in color and quantity and movement. Some people, mm -hmm. you know, stating that they were, they had like very bright lights. Some said they were more dim. 
not really casting an outward light. They were just kind of like um, almost like a recess light on some of the stories. Now, one of the things that they point out is it was silent. Mm -hmm. You know, very, you know, no next to no sound whatsoever. And, you know, some people, depending on where they were at the time of the sighting, neither claim it was really high up in the sky or some people even say it was just basically hovering above the city within a couple hundred feet of, you know, ground level. Hmm. Now, also the actual description of what people could see on the underside of the um, craft, you know, some people said they saw a, like a structure underneath it. Some people said, no, it was more of a, a flat, smooth surface. So, you know, varied but yet very similar you know different mm -hmm. amount of lights and you know again that could go down to where they are viewing it from the ambient light around them and all that mm -hmm. well even the people's reactions too uh during these encounters they differed as well ranging from eerie to awestruck and a few experienced a certain feeling of serenity and some freaked out yeah which i i mean if you saw a gigantic mile wide set of lights hovering over your city, you know, some people are going to be like, Oh, they're finally here. And some people are going to be like, Oh shit, they're finally here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Well, even like you said, uh, like they were described seeing an underlying structure. So you had the lights in, in the, the V pattern, but they also saw like, like a darker outline around the edges. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, they could kind of see like the shaping of it, not just the lights, but like kind of the edges of the object. Right. So, I mean, to if I were witnessing that and I were looking up and, and it's one thing to just look up and see some lights. I mean, you could say, all right, well, maybe it's it's drones or lanterns or, you know, military, you know, flying some sort of a, a pattern or something like that. But when you see the lights and then you see like the underlying or outlying of a, of a larger uh, craft or structure, well, yeah, I would, that would freak me out completely. I'd be, I'd be terrified to be honest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things is there are a lot of UFO sightings in Arizona and mm -hmm. I was able to find some quotes from uh, Shane Hurd, who is the assistant state director for MUFON. And he said, you know, one of the things he had said was, uh, I think some of the reasons might be because we have very clear skies and when the weather is good, there's a lot more people out. So there was more opportunities for stargazing at that point and for something that was up there to be seen. True, true. And you got to figure also like down in the Southwest and, and, and more of the desert areas, um, it's not quite as populated so if they're going to come to this planet and they want to be discreet and, and not really seen what better place to go than a remote desert area you know what i mean and, mm -hmm. yeah well you think about it like new mexico arizona nevada there's a large you know swath of land where there are next to no people mm -hmm. you know for you know miles and miles and miles you you know, if you wanted to do something, even as a person, if you wanted to do something super illegal, the area to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you go back to the Native American stories uh, in those regions and stuff like that date back centuries. And, and it's, you know, 
all kinds of weird stuff happen out in the desert, you know. Well, and even in this area, there are the uh, pictographs that, yeah. you know, depending on how you interpret them, there are some that seem very similar to at least modern interpretations of, hey, it kind of looks like people and a spacecraft or a UFO right. or you know, some kind of being that doesn't quite fit with the rest of the beings coming out of uh, a, what appears to be like a bright light drawn, you know, mm -hmm. etched out, I guess I was going to say drawn. I don't know, technically scratched. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dr. Lynn uh, Katai, director and ex executive producer of the Phoenix Lights documentary stated, my husband and I have a house nestled in the mountains by the Arizona Baltimore Resort. And these and have these good clear views of the valley in 90, 1995, I managed to get a, a strip of 35 millimeter photos of these oval orbs I saw arranged like a pyramid outside of our home. So, I mean, you have, uh, what do you want to call them? Educated, for lack of better terms, or, or mm -hmm. uh, you, scientific, you know what I yeah. mean? The, these doctorate doctorated people that uh, have a certain level of intelligence you know making claims too so it's not like you had made the comment in one of the the past shows about that mcdaniels you know what mm -hmm. is his credibility you know what i mean what is his mental state what is his character like you know so typically you think a lot of these people are like crackpot you know loonies and stuff like that but then when you have you know for lack of better terms you know educated or you know well, yeah, not so. Yeah. yeah, more credible people. Yeah, definitely. So, like, the lights aren't just a one-off thing, then either. Right, right, right. Sorry, I needed some water. But yeah, no. In fact, in January, two months before the mass sighting, Doctor Katai filmed uh, this mile-wide group of six lights hovering in the distance at a thousand feet over the class B restricted airspace of uh, Phoenix sky Harbor international airport, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah. So also, um, class B restricted airspace is a 30 mile circle from the center of the, um, I don't know if they technically say from the center of the landing strip or from the center of the actual airport. So it's a 30 mile loop, um, that, not even military or military nor private can enter without communicating with the towers at that point. So, so yeah. which now I, and I don't know, I don't know if there's anything else uh, stated further on in the show and I don't want to jump, jump the gun or anything, but it kind of makes me wonder if this is a, a restricted airspace and in a 30 mile radius and people are seeing this well within that, area that restricted area for extended periods of time wouldn't there be other like planes like official planes or, or something out to dispatch that object encroaching into that space well and see that's a thing because um some of the eyewitness accounts do discuss seeing military jets flying in those areas at those times mm -hmm. of course the military turns around and says no we never scrambled anything at that time there's no records of flight logs um 
so yeah, I mean, if you're if you're inside restricted airspace, there is going to be some kind of alert set up. There's going to be some kind of deterrent put in your way. You're not mm-hmm. just going to fly into those areas. But that's also one of the things where if these lights aren't just a one-off, if these, you know, you have the orbs that people, you know, see, you yeah. know, the doctor had said, um, if you're seeing those on a regular basis in mm-hmm. those areas, um, are they going to, if it's a normal occurrence, are they really going to be scrambling fighter jets to run them off? Or are they going to do the, we can't figure out exactly what's causing it or what's doing it, but we know it's not causing issues with air traffic coming through. Or is it coming from there? Yeah. So, yeah, there. you would think within, I mean, a thousand feet above ground inside of restricted airspace, something should be done to deter that object or, you know, remove that object from that space but yeah that that's very close yeah now we're going to get into some of the eyewitness accounts and I, one of the ones i pulled here was a uh, david sankey he's a tempe arizona resident and this was his story on this night uh me and my friend aaron were cruising down us highway 60 taking two female friends home from apache junction all the way up to 32nd street and shea boulevard and he says, we were probably around Alm School Road or McClintock Drive when the female friend in the front passenger side seat said, hey, and I'm sorry, folks, I'm just quoting. Hey, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yes, we have to put the not safe for work thing on here now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was out the right side of the car. We saw these lights and we we're all looking at each other. Like, is this really happening or is this something out of an E.T. or an alien movie where they make contact? Mm-hmm. So there. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, just, you know, basically a, a normal the um, I would assume probably teenage 20 year old somewhere in that neighborhood. I mean, they're out driving around with two girls and they just happen to see these lights all of a sudden. I, I could imagine you know, driving at night and all of a sudden somebody saying, Hey, what the hell is that? And you, you kind of start looking and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're trying to diagnose what it is. And all of a sudden you're like, your brain comes to that conclusion of, Oh shit, that's in the air. That mm-hmm. doesn't look like any plane or anything we recognize, you know, cause they, I mean, you're by an airport. I mean, I live 30 miles from one airport and planes fly over all the time. I live about probably 60 miles from a, a army or air, I think it might be air force mm-hmm. uh, flight area. And on weekends when the guard and stuff is on duty, you'll see jet fighters zoom through this area. Jeez. Yeah. It's not every weekend, but you'll see them. So you, you recognize like even at night, like, Oh, Hey, that's, you know, probably one of the fighter planes or some fighter squadron out of the base, you know, I think it's about 60 miles from here, but they, I mean, they fly through here and up like Indian town gap. Yeah. 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 The A-10 warthogs, the Chinooks. We, I mean, we grew up seeing all that stuff. So true. You know, you see some kind of light that doesn't fit those known characteristics. It's gotta mm. be one of those 
you know, is it, is this real? Are they, is this some kind of like, you know, um, punked? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, punk type thing where somebody's messing with you at night. Yeah, it does. It does make you wonder. And I wonder when in relation this, because uh, we couldn't find a date on that one. And well, I wonder. This, this is the March 13th. Oh, this is the March 13th? Yeah. Okay, all right. I didn't see it listed right in that note, but I, I, I was assuming it was it, it, within that timeline. So, yeah. And this was all in conjunction with, at the same time, all these other witnesses reports were coming in. So yeah, these are these obviously are kind of a rolling. Um, you know, people start seeing it outside of Phoenix. You know, out towards Tempe, they start seeing it closer to Phoenix. In you know, actually sitting in the middle of the city, people are seeing this at that point. Yeah, yeah, you know, and by, it's rolling through a large, like a vast area of land within a, a, cer a certain time frame. So, well, it covered, I think, like they said, about 230 some miles in like 40 minutes. Yeah, I think it was 285, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was spotted 285 miles to the northwest over Henderson, Nevada, 755. And then in less than 40 minutes. Uh, yeah, so it was like a 285 mile span. Yeah. So, well, another eyewitness report, uh, John Vanderlyn, another uh, Tempe uh, resident said, I was about seven and we were swimming in our backyard pool in Glendale with my dad. He glanced up and said, what the hell? And we all looked up and you could see eight lights in a V and it looked like it actually blocked out the stars. That I think is pretty interesting. Um, then it said it actually sparked it actually sparked quite a fascination with UFOs and extraterrestrials. That I think is really cool that the fact that, that they're seeing these lights, but it's also blocking out any kind of stars or lights mm -hmm. above it. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. It gives I, you that like mothership kind of feel, you know what I mean? Well, and also kind of as a, as somebody looking at that, if I can't see what the sky, you know, like when you look up at home, you kind of know, like if you sit on your back porch and you look up, you know, certain stars, you know, time of year are around here. Right. You, right. You can kind you of track up, them. Yeah. If you looked up and it was a crystal clear night out and all of a sudden you saw eight lights that seemed to only be a couple hundred feet above you and you couldn't see the stars behind them, it kind of gives the object some, you know, it gives you a reference point of, hey, it is closer to me than it is away from me. And it also gives you the thought of there's actually something there if it's blocking out you know a star or stars you're used to seeing at that time of year you know you kind of it gives you that sense of yeah there is actually something in between me and that star right yeah, right besides, you know billions and billions of light years but true <laughs> Now, now, that was some, you know, those who were basically, you know, just some everyday people that I witnessed this event. Mm -hmm. So I kind of found this anonymous statement from a pilot from Southwest. Mm -hmm. And he basically goes on to say, I was a pilot with Southwest Airlines at the time and was living on the west side with my wife. We had just left the restaurant and I had her stop and pull off to the side of the road. I got out and kind of stood by the car. And it was kind of flying directly over us. 
I'm looking up and I'm trying to think of how to explain it to her because I'm going, well, it might, it might be, it's like a C5, which is a large military transport. Then I go, no, no in-air collision lights, no strobes. And it's moving really kind of slow. They actually look like can lights, like recessed into the surface. Hmm. There were five, and I wouldn't say they were glowing. They were, they just weren't bright and didn't have any harsh incandescence to them. So now here you have a guy who's a pilot who knows, you know, flight procedure. You're going to have mm -hmm. your in-air collision lights. You're going to have the strobes on the tail. He's not seeing any of this. And he's yeah. also, you know, he's going to be familiar with, hey, if I'm standing on the ground watching a plane, I know about how much space it should cover in the amount of time I'm watching it. Right, right. So now that's, I mean, you know, we were saying about more educated people on these subjects. A lot of times, you know, as we find a lot of these eyewitnesses are not well-versed in science or, you know, certain, you know, principles. Right. Here's right. a guy who would be well-versed in everything aeronautical. Like right. he's a pilot. He's, you know, he knows something ain't right with what he's looking at. Mm -hmm. Very good points. Yeah. Cause I mean, he's rattling off everything on a checklist on, all right, well, is it this? It's not that. Is it this? It's not that, you know? So he clearly, you know, had got, run the gauntlet of uh, trying to decipher what kind of craft it is and, and, you know, obviously what kind of craft it isn't. So mm -hmm. that I thought was really interesting. So I, I liked that report um, from another pilot. I thought that was freaking awesome. And the size uh, that he that, that he was referencing too. So, I mean, he's clearly got it pegged, you know, the, to, to uh, for comparisons and whatnot. So, and then there's also a statement from, uh, a Phoenix Police Department operator, 911 operator, Verily uh, Nieneman. Um, it uh, started out, the, the, the operator, the, I guess the call goes, it started out slow and then all of a sudden we were getting lots of calls and they were all regarding strange lights in the sky. The calls came in very steady for about an hour. Everyone seemed calm and was saying it was either the V shape or five lights or seven lights over the Sierra Estrella mountains. And then in the 24 years I worked here, we'd got an occasional call or two about strange lights, but nothing like that night. So that too is pretty, pretty interesting when you, when you have that time span um, of that area, you have some lights coming through like reports, mm. but nothing like this. So, I mean, there, there's obviously a, a, a a slew of people had witnessed this. Um, kind of give you an idea, just in Phoenix alone, about 10,000, now not actual calls to 911, mm. but the estimate is about 10,000 people in Phoenix actually witnessed this event. That's insane. Yeah. Ten that's not some random, you know... Yeah, that's not five people. That's not even, a, you know, a hundred people, a thousand people. This is... 10,000 people looked up that night and saw somewhere between say five and eight lights yeah, yeah. floating in the sky. You know, um, it, you know, 
if you want, could you pull up that the the picture of the lights in the skies, kind of give people an idea of what people yes. were seeing? That would be let me let me find it. Yeah, so Come while on. Les is looking for that, you gotta think ten thousand people. I don't know. I, I I'm assuming Phoenix is probably over a million in population easily. So you got ten thousand people out. Um can you uh the the night shot with just the lights in the sky? Oh, yep, sorry. Let me get this one yeah. out. So you got all these people seeing this. This is a photo we'll talk about in a minute. Um and you you've got yeah, okay, there, there we go. go. Yeah, you've got these lights basically coming across your city at night. Now, there I see about six lights, maybe seven, the way those two in the front kind of might be two separate lights. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing that come over the sky, you know, in the middle. You know, it's not even that late at night. It's not like, you know, two in the morning and you got 10,000 people leaving bars or, you know, events in Phoenix and they're going, Oh, you know, we're seeing these strange lights and, you know, you got some people that might be of questionable character at that hour. You know, you're looking right. at this, this event basically, you know, depending on what window you look at, started around 5 p.m. that evening. And up until about 2 a.m. people were still reporting, you know, lights and, and objects and, you know, um, orbs in that area so this i mean this is the main sighting though this is the lights and that is actually taken from a film that uh, mm -hmm. was shot so now we're going to get into kind of how this story gets weird i mm -hmm. mean weirder weird in the human sense not weird in the hey what is that above our city sense Mm -hmm. So there was a, um, her name was Frances Emma Barwood. She was the Phoenix city councilwoman. And at the time she was the vice mayor. And one day on uh, May 6th of 97, she was going into the council meeting and was stopped by a reporter. And she was asked, you know, the reporter asked her if I knew what the object was that flew over Phoenix on the 13th of March. And she said, you know, I can ask in the meeting. Mm -hmm. And when it came turn for her, for her counselor's request, I told them about the reporters, what she said. And then she said, uh, could we find out what the object was? And she said, basically, it was like everybody just turned and looked at her like she did something completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Like just random, like everybody just stopped dead in what they were doing and just started staring at her like, oh, you done screwed up there, A.A. Ron. <laughs> <laughs> you know so you know her she kind of kept pushing the issue a little bit and of course by her pushing the issue it got a lot more local media attention and the tabloid style shows like back then uh extra i don't even know if it's still on tv um but it also kind of put a target on her back she ended up losing her political career over it you know just by asking that one question but it was kind of the, you know, nobody was giving a real response. Nobody was, it was kind of like, it happened, we'll get back to you. Yeah, yeah. Went from March, and this basically meeting was 
in, I believe, yeah, May. May. So they basically swept it under the rug like, you know, if we don't bring it up, we don't have to address it. Right, right. You know, she ends up bringing it up in a sense, in, in a forum where there are records kept. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why the, the kind of the other politicians and everybody involved just kind of stopped and were like, why did you, why did you say that in here? Like, why yeah, would yeah. you say that right now? Why bring it up? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and also it's one of those things, she ends up losing her career. I mean, she was the vice mayor at that point. Right, right, yeah. It's a pretty, you know, substantial step in, especially for somebody who might, you know, have political aspirations. She was on her way to, you know, some higher positions, and she ended Mm -hmm. up, by asking a simple question, end up tossing it all away without the intent of, you know, hurting her career. Right, right. Well, if we jump ahead about a month, after that, uh, on June 18th in 1997, USA Today ran a front page brief complete with an artist's depiction of a boomerang-shaped craft teasing an inside story about the Phoenix Lights. It turned uh, the sightings into a worldwide phenomenon overnight, and that was the image I had mistakenly brought up before, but this is it here. Uh, the networks continuously played the snippets of footage available from the sightings, which was the previous image we had uh, showed you, including Katai's uh, camcorder video of the Flying V formation. Dr. Katai uh, just let them have uh, her video and put it out there because she wanted as many people as possible to see it. Yeah, so I mean, there it shows like she didn't do it for any financial gain. I mean, if she's releasing it to everybody, I, I worked in television media. She wasn't financially gaining from it. She was, he, you know, here, make the copies, run the stories, use the video, sign in the releases for use on it. And, you know, there there's only one or maybe two videos that are known of the incident, mm-hmm. uh, including the doctor's footage. And you got to think, like, back in 97 consumer grade cameras were they weren't even digital yet at that point everything was Mm -hmm. on some form of tape you know some some type of drive and you know let's face it the cameras from 97 not the best quality video you know you're talking our our cell phones now shoot better quality video than those things absolutely Absolutely. So, and another interesting thing there too is that that was a doctor putting their reputation on the line to try and put it out there to have people, you know, view this. Yeah. Well, I think when you have ten thousand people in one area who all say they saw something similar, you know, like I said, it could be anywhere from five to eight lights, um, superstructure, yeah. no superstructure, you know this color light that color light mm-hmm. you know i i think at that point there was a lot of people who were putting themselves out there for the simple fact of wanting to know what was i looking at right right yeah yeah, yeah they're all asking the same question and getting yeah. zero answers yeah so i think you know yeah i mean she put her career her career on the line by you know being attacked i mean you could give the video to the people and say just don't use my name Right, she, exactly. She you get anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. She was willing to put herself out there. Um, you know, 
so you have a lot of people that were probably stepping out in that sense of it, it's kind of could be detrimental to me, but also if one, if it was you or I were out driving on a back road mm -hmm. and we see a bright light land in a field and we're missing 20 minutes of time the next time we look and we're, you know, down the road or on the wrong road somewhere else. Yeah. People are going to go, yeah, you probably don't want to talk about that in public. Right. Right. If 10,000 people see it. Yeah. That's like a city. Yeah. A whole city's worth of it. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're dealing with, you know, like, um, think 70,000 people is the size of the city of Roanoke, Virginia. Mm -hmm. You're looking at basically 10% of those people. I'm not doing the math in my head, but you're, you're yeah, looking yeah. at, you know, a large percentage of those people seeing the same thing that night. Right. Right. You know, so stepping out there, you know, but I think it's easier to step out when there's a large group because you do get the doctor, you do get the, the baseball coach, you do get the high school principal, but you also get the guy who works, you know, in the factory, you got the guy, you know, the garbage man, the, and not knocking anybody that does any of those jobs they are all very needed, mm -hmm. but you know, you're getting a, a, a blue and white collar mix. Yeah. You're getting a sample size of people that aren't, you know, you, you can't pick somebody, you know, you can't take the doctor's credibility and pick it apart the same as right. you could take the guy who digs ditches and go, that, that dude barely made it out of the ninth grade. And, you know, he wouldn't understand the difference between a satellite and a star. Right. Right. So now, you know, the, the nationwide media attention then also starts to put the pressure on the local state and federal politicians to investigate this sighting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get days after the USA Today front page, the then governor um, of Arizona, Fife uh, Symington, mm -hmm. announces this emergency press conference. Yeah, Symington's new co news conference was anything but serious after declaring state officials had found the guilty party behind the sightings uh, his chief of staff, Jay uh, Healer, uh, ha was perp walked to the podium dressed as a gray alien in handcuffs uh, before unmasking everyone in the room had a good chuckle. And uh, here's a, a, a picture of that uh, news conference video. Yeah, and, um, you know, this, this was a spontaneous i was actually watching one of the news reports from when it happened um you could tell even the reporters were pissed off mm -hmm. at the because this was an emergency press conference this was called like you know be here at i i you know the guy was like basically we were told to be here by five you know 5 p.m or whatever governor's gonna give this emergency press conference you have all these people lugging all their equipment and all the camera crews, the, the mics, the, you know, getting reporters on scene. You got the radio stations with their equipment, with the recording equipment, you got newspaper reporters. And of course now you got everybody trying to make a deadline. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, you gotta, you gotta break the news first. 
you got to have the first live shot coming out of that meeting. You got to have the first photo up on your, you know, well, back then you really weren't even that big into websites, but nowadays you would be, you'd want, you know, the first blurb getting out there, your, your, um, cell phone alerts going out first because mm-hmm. you, know, you want to be the premier station to cover this. And I, I watched the one video and you could just tell the reporter was, he was professional, but you could tell he was upset. Right. Like this was, this is also a waste of public money. Yes. Like this, yeah. this staffing and, and all this stuff for this meeting came out of the public fund for the city or for the state, you know, so it wasn't, it shouldn't have been something that was taken as a joke right? or, you know, portrayed as a joke. So, you know, Symington, you know, he eventually is on, um, there was a show called UFO back in 2021 and they had an episode about the Phoenix lights and of course, he says, well, I didn't see any harm in what we were referring to as the alien caper since it was meant to de-escalate the growing frenzy over the sighting. So basically, hey, I don't see anything wrong with what I did. You know, mm-hmm. it was a joke. If you can't take a joke, so be it. Right, right. You know, and of course, he goes on, he, you know, we weren't trying to ridicule anybody's concerns, but there was elements of building hysteria, which we really needed to deal with. I'm sorry I offended people, but it was it was a lot of fun. So so basically, you know, he he kind of smugly politically says, "Yeah, okay, I'm going to tell you I'm sorry because this is the proper thing to say to you, but at the same time, it's really not." I'm, I'm going to do it basically to make you feel good, but I'm really not sorry. It's sorry. Not yeah. Sorry. sorry, not sorry. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, Barwood who had basically thrown her career away, you know, she kind of believes it was an attempt by him and his administration to kind of steer clear of the ridicule she got for bringing up the question. Like it was one of those, Hey, I'm going to diffuse it with some humor and kind of throw, throw people out of the wanting to really know what's going on. If we laugh it off, then people will kind of go, Oh, well maybe what we saw was, you know, just some weird, you know, weird thing that happened. And, you know, my life went on. Right. Right. Yeah. Now he eventually, you know, it's about, you know, a decade after the actual, you know, 97, Mm -hmm. He claims in an interview that he slipped out of his um, his security detail on the night of the sighting and joined a crowd of sky watchers at Squaw Peak and witnessed for himself the V-shape formation flyby. And he's he's actually now kind of come out and been one of these, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I, I, you know, I slipped my security detail, which I wasn't supposed to do. I drove my own car, which I wasn't supposed to do. And I saw it and, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't come out and say it back then. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's kind of a good reasons why he couldn't say it back then. And I'll get into that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he does go on to kind of say, you know, 
he was hearing the reports. He was, he was watching the news and the stuff was starting to pop up. And, you know, he, he took, he told his wife, I'm just going to take my car, go for a drive up there and see what all the Hubble blue is about. And when he gets there, he actually sees it. And he was like, Holy cow. Look at that. Like, what is that? And, mm-hmm. you know, he said it was a you know great big Delta wing shape and came out of the Northwest headed Southeast through the Valley and you know so he he eventually you know starts to admit that he personally witnessed all this stuff mm-hmm. now the reason why he, one one of the probably the reasons why he didn't bring up this whole thing back then was at the time of the sighting he was under federal indictment for 21 counts of extortion bank fraud and making false financial statements and he's quoted as saying it was a fairly tumultuous time for my me politically, and I certainly didn't want to pour any kerosene on the fire. Mm-hmm. So he went on to say, so the next day I kept my mouth shut. And you know, years later he was actually convicted of seven counts of bank fraud, which was overturned on appeal in '99. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I love Moon Joey's comment here. We don't have any good uh, clear footage of the picks because Bigfoot was the pilot. <laughs> That's you can't get any any better than that. <laughs> I still love uh, the Mitch Hedberg. Maybe it's just Bigfoot's blurry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not yeah. the camera or bad, or bad yeah. pictures. That's just the way he looks. Yeah, but you know, this, I, I was watching something earlier that brought up the whole um, cameras. You know, the government releases this like Tic Tac video. Yeah. And of course, we get like an infrared and, and different versions of the Tic Tac video. Mm-hmm. But yet they release stuff that has 4K, 8K, you know, quality all the time from the space agencies and, and from just government institutions. And yet the only footage we can get of a UAP or whatever they call them now yeah, yeah. is, you know, infrared or you know some other system but yet we have 4k cameras also on those planes where why are we not seeing that footage because right oh we would be able to tell maybe that it isn't what they claim it is or it's something that they already know has been here for years and enough of us have seen it to say hey we've seen something yeah well maybe we got to start telling you a little bit here and there but we're not going to give you good quality we're gonna it's like every time they release a hey can you help identify this person who's robbing this dollar tree or dollar general Mm -hmm. you couldn't get worse footage if you went back to 1860 got that camera told the guy (laughs) to stand there and took the photo because (laughs) the the quality of these cameras like i said our cell phones shoot better video and yet the security cameras for most places are the grainiest low quality low resolution crap and yet these people are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on these security systems Mm -hmm. yeah and this is on a military fighter plane yeah, which has 4K cameras on it, 8K cameras on it. So the fact that they're only releasing these infrared and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it definitely, because you can watch some of the military stuff where, 
you know, they're using ISR drones and they're showing, I mean, to the point of, you can see what the label on the person's shirt says. Right. Right. You know, at night yet too. Like, it's not like, Oh, it's only during the day. We have this very quiet. No, at night, you know, in these foreign countries, they're able to fly these drones through at thousands of feet and tell you, Oh, that guy has a Nike label on his shirt. That's that big. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it just it, it makes they're they're only letting you see what they want you to see. That's that's just how it is, you know. Yeah. But uh but back to um the story of uh Symington. Uh he claims that as governor he inquired with officials at Luke Air Force Base about the possibility of military exercises or flight maneuvers being mistaken by witnesses as alien spacecraft. Two explanations cited by debunkers over the last uh, 25 years. Uh, in the case of the V, Mitch Stanley's observation of multiple planes flying information have been accepted by many skeptics. Uh, as for the nine glowing orbs near the Sierra Astralis, uh, then Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones of the Maryland Air National Guard told the Arizona Republic in 2017 it was caused by a-10 warthogs dropping parachute-equipped flares while conducting exercises at what's now the Barry M. Goldwater Air Force Range near uh, Gila Bend. Um, and a solar impulse, two solar-powered aircraft fly into Goodyear Airport in 2016. The profile was remarkably similar to the V-shaped plane. Uh, the way they did the lighting and it's it's silence and it was about the same too um, as the reports, so it might have been something like that. Yeah. So now, when you get into the uh, flares, there have been, you know, they've basically been able to debunk the whole flare theory through the you know comparative video and photographs uh when flares are dropped they have uh first of all the parachute flares mm -hmm. so they they descend at different speeds and they don't stay in formation and again they descend they don't drift you know in a line across an area yeah um but there was a um of an anonymous source that says you know, I was in the Army flying Hueys in Vietnam. Then I went into the Air Force. I flew F-15s uh, and fighters for 17 years. I can say it's absolutely not aerial flares. Mm. They would not stay in formation, and they would move, move and fly really slow out of sight. And you don't fly around in V-shaped formations at night. Hmm. Um... So, you know, you have somebody, again, who is a well-versed in the subject matter of flight, military flight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, they, they refer to this military testing. It was Operation Snowbird. Um, it was a pilot testing, you know, that they were doing in that area. The you know, Maryland Air National Guard was using it. And... So, you know, they, they always kind of throw back, oh, they were dropping flares. Um, not saying that they didn't drop flares that night. Right, right. But um, I grew up around A-10 Warthogs. You know, planes like that. They're very distinct when you see them. They're not, 
you know, you would recognize one if you saw them. You you mm-hmm. you grew up around them too. They fly out of the gap. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you have other people that were saying like those orbs were spread out evenly, so it looked intentional. Yeah, you know, planes you know aren't going to necessarily hold the same exact formation over that amount of distance, and like these objects stayed at the same height they you know they didn't look like they had parachutes and when you watch a parachute flare you'll see the light and then you'll see the trail going up yeah and you'll see it'll sometimes illuminate up to the the actual parachute canopy also when you drop them you know they start drifting down and one's going to stay up here and start drifting slower and it's going to you know spread so you're not going to have one's going to catch a different current than the other, and they're they're yeah. all going to lose shape after a while. Yeah, they're not going to they're not going to cross the city. And first of all, why would you drop flares? These things are three foot by ten inches, and they burn. And one of the biggest things with them that the reason they don't test them a lot of times is because of the chance of fire. Also, right. you wouldn't in, drop them. In, in a dry desert area, yeah. and you wouldn't drop them that close to a city due to civilian casualties right Right. you know there's a chance is three they are three foot about 10 inches round and they burn and they can and and people even in the military like when they do use them they're like oh there's times they hit the ground they're still burning there's no like oh they just went out all of a sudden no they they burn until they go out it still it still doesn't explain the outline of the the primary craft yeah yeah nobody it it doesn't address what people saw it's just a hey if we throw something out that out of say that ten thousand people nine thousand nine hundred and fifty of them aren't going to know the difference right we'll throw that out there but also you got to think that luke air force base is relatively close to the city Mm mm-hmm the Air Force Base has been there since before World War II, around World War II. Uh-huh. If they were dropping flares, people in the city would be used to seeing them. You know, they would have an idea. Also, if the military was doing stuff like that, I'm sure they probably would put something out in the paper, like, or the local news, like, hey, this, you know, this month we're going to have increased flights at night due to some military training mm-hmm. you know it wouldn't be just randomly all of a sudden like oh shit yeah we were doing this training so yeah that's what y'all saw yeah uh another great comment by by moon joey says i've seen multiple flare drops in colorado at the, the peterson base near cheyenne mountain they're always over the military airspace Yep. And he's never seen more than three at a time and on calm nights only making them come straight down in about 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. So they're not, you know, multiple lights spread over a mile wide area and they're not all coming down in unison. You know what I mean? Like, and they're not yeah, over the- re- residential areas. Yeah. The military is not going to purposely test over residential. Right. You know, they may do flyovers, but even like I said, when the fighters are flying over, they're flying through sections of unpopulated 
you know, they're flying, you know, by a house, but it's a house with, you know, a hundred and some acres. So they're not flying directly over your home. They're flying, you know, over your property. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, they're not, they're not dropping stuff. Right. Right. Even when they do test runs using the mountains and stuff like that, they're not, unless they're in a, you know, um, military, you know, fire range, they're not even testing like, Hey, can we actually hit that target? They're just using the valleys and the mountains for, Hey, can we actually fit in this? Can we do the speed we need to be doing? Can we maneuver? You know, (laughs) that's true. Uh, did you, did you cover that next part that you had in your section there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're going to jump ahead uh, another a year to a later event on April 21st in 2008, where lights were reported over Phoenix by local residents. And these lights were reportedly appeared to change from square to triangular formations over time, which that kind of makes me think it could be a flare kind of situation if they're going to be changing shape and moving around. Because if you're looking at them at a certain height, at a certain distance, and they're kind of moving, you know what I mean? If they're coming down at different times, they might appear to be changing shape or or formation, but they're just kind of moving. You know what I mean? Because you're looking at the perspective is going to be changing. Um, Are you frozen? I think you're frozen. I wonder why you're so quiet. Well, I'll just keep reading this report until Chad comes back or unfreezes. Chad, try, if you could hear me, buddy, try uh, signing back in. I'm going to close you out. Oh, wait, maybe you're coming in. I don't know. He's out. Try signing back in, buddy. Uh, Let's see. So a Valley resident reported that shortly after the lights appeared, three jets were seen heading west in the direction of the lights which is kind of what I was talking about before, where I I said, why wouldn't uh, any military jets be um, sent out after the supposed lights or objects that are encroaching on that airspace? Um, uh, Oh, is he back? Let me get him into the stream. There you are. Froze out yeah, there for a second. No, that's fine. That's fine. I was just uh, going on. I said about the lights appeared. Jets were uh, sent out after the in the direction of the lights. And an official from Luke Air Force Base denied any U.S. Air Force activity in that area. And on April 22nd, the next day in, two, in 20, uh, 2008, a resident of Phoenix told a newspaper that the lights were nothing more than his neighbor releasing helium balloons with flares attached. This was confirmed confirmed by a police helicopter. The following day, a Phoenix resident who declined to be identified in news reports stated that he had attached flares to helium balloons and released them from his backyard. And that became known as the Phoenix Light Incident of 1997, consists of the two unrelated incidents, although both were the result. Should I be reading this part, or is this the part that you wanted me to... Yeah, let's, let's not go into that, because I actually okay. found some really interesting stuff that has nothing to directly connect it to the Phoenix lights incident, Mm -hmm. but 
uh, in Scientific America in July of 97, there was a 10-page story about a gamma radiation burst mm. that was seen by the Lacille uh, Telescope in Chile and the Hubble Telescope. Mm. Okay. When it was first sighted, it was 450,000 light years away. Within 20 minutes, the next images they got of it, mm -hmm. it was in our solar system. Within how? Four minutes? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. Now, when they the gamma burst, when it shows up on these images, is a bright point of light. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there's a background trailing object in both images. That's interesting. Yeah. And well, there, there again, they could take pictures of stuff light years away and get a clear picture, but we can't get a clear picture off these uh, military planes. Did you freeze again? Try logging back in, dude. If you could hear me, I'm going to close you out. Well, hopefully he could get back in here because our 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 show is is hit the hour. We're actually two minutes past the hour, so we're gonna have to be wrapping this up quick. So I hope he comes back to end out the show with me. Um, I'd like to hear the rest of his report that he had there with the uh, gamma uh, gamma blast or gamma flare that uh, he's talking about. I want to hear the the ending of that. But uh, for those of you who have been following the show tonight, we appreciate it. Um, this was a show on the Phoenix Light Lights, um, the reports uh, from back in 1997. And then there was still follow-up reports up until about 2008. Um, oh, here, I think he's coming back. And we'll show him in the stream. There he is. Okay. Okay, I have a thunderstorm rolling in. That's why this is doing this. Uh, that's, that's okay. That's okay. okay. So that same night, March 13th, 1997, a communication satellite we had in orbit gets knocked out. Now, of course, you might say, oh, well, the chips you know, got fried by the gamma radiation. Problem is they were chips that shouldn't be fried by gamma radiation. They're actually made oh. for gamma radiation. So we lose a communication satellite the same night. That all is happening. Um, and basically, that was two things I found that were not even, no one you know really connects to these incidents. But you have also the Hale Bop comment was this time of you know in the you know ninety seven, um, which if you remember the Heaven's Gate cult said there was yeah 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 yeah. they believe there was a ufo behind the comet yeah there was also a guy who had taken images with uh, a ccd camera system for a telescope and said there was something trailing behind the comedy in fact he called art bell that night that he found it and said hey there's there's something behind the comet and of course everybody started saying, oh, there's UFO. And then other people were like, no, nah, that's just, you know, a star that's showing up behind the comet. But, you know, so this is all stuff that, 
you know, happens around that time. We had weird weather patterns that popped up in different places in that. <laughs> no, right when the story was getting good, he pops out again. Uh, try one more time, Chad, if you could actually hear me yet, because you really dropped out quick that time. We'll try and wrap up the show because it is 935. We are five minutes past the hour. So here he is back again. We'll try and get him on and wrap up this show quick. You know, the worst there thing you is, are. The worst thing is that whole time I could hear you talking. My camera oh, really? dropped out and I could hear you perfectly fine. Hmm. I don't know what that was, but yeah. So that was some of the weird shit I found, not necessarily connected to the Phoenix Lights, but actually happening the same night. Well, yeah. I mean, you have this uh, unexplainable object, you know, I want to call it a singular object, even though there were multiple lights. I mean, with the, like we we're saying how the shape was seen um, kind of around those lights, I would say that it was a singular object, you know, mm -hmm. Um so you have this large, mile-wide, mile-long object that came into uh, unrestricted airspace, um, and then that gamma flash and, and an object trailing behind the comet and, and satellites getting knocked out. Uh, it, you start connecting the dots, and there's too much uh, going on at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> Moon Joey has a good comment there. He says the aliens don't want Chad talking about it. I don't know about the aliens, but somebody doesn't want you talking about it. They're yeah. cutting you out, buddy. Yeah, I have the weirdest thing with my phone. I, I, not not even going to get into it because it always gets weird. But I will talk to one of my other friends about like weird stuff that happens, mm -hmm. and we will both at different times hear somebody else on the phone. Like that a, is weird. Like a background conversation, or all of a sudden the phone will just drop the call. So, mm. not not getting into all that. I don't think it's anything specific, but it is weird at times where you'll almost hear like the line clear, like some. <laughs> there, you're cut out again, buddy. They don't want you talking about it. The government tapping into our show. Oh, there now you're back, kind of. And the worst thing is, I can hear you this whole time. Huh? I don't know what it is. But we probably should wrap it up because it is nine thirty-eight. We. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, anyways, tonight's episode was episode fifty-two, the uh, Phoenix Lights, the mystery of the Phoenix Lights. Chad put this show together. I think you did a great job, dude. I really enjoyed tonight's show. It was a great discussion, and as always. I love talking with you, man, every other week now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was fun. I'm glad you guys hope you enjoyed, you know, I know you enjoyed the show, but I hope everybody yeah. else did. Um, well, at least Moon fun. Joey did. He was the only one <laughs> commenting. Yeah. Well, we had a couple people uh, checking in, but Moon Joey, as always, buddy, you're always coming in with some good comments and, and good uh, information. We appreciate that. Yeah. So, well, good night, everybody. I hope you all have a great week. Um, we'll be back. Two weeks. two weeks from now yeah so i'll be on vacation next week so you guys all have fun be careful be safe mm -hmm. do we want to say the topic that we're thinking about for the next show yeah what the hell <laughs> yeah well we're planning on doing as long as everything goes accordingly we're planning on doing the next show on hans holzer who is a uh historical uh paranormal investigator from uh, what the 60s 
I would say, from around about the 60s is when he was in the height, the peak of his career. I think so, um, yeah. Worked with a, a, a few different uh, mediums to uh, communicate with the dead. So we're going to be kicking it back to the paranormal now that we're back in action. Uh, and we're going to be talking about one of our favorite paranormal researchers, Hans Holzer. So um, hopefully in two weeks we'll be able to cover that. Um, yeah, so like Chad said, it was a great show. We appreciate everybody's uh, attendance and, and viewership. And if you do not mind, those of you on YouTube or even on Facebook, go to our YouTube page, like and subscribe and share. Uh, share us on Facebook. Share us everywhere so we can get the, the, the show kind of... Uh, ratings up a little bit but for those who do tune in regularly we we love you guys and thank you very much and we'll see you in two weeks so talk to you later brother yep talk to y'all later bye bye